Our Old Testament lesson this morning can be found on page 169 in our Pew Bibles, or 329 in the large print. It's Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. This comes at the very end of the book of Deuteronomy, at the very end of the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible, and it comes at the very end of the life of Moses. Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 12. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you again for the giving of your word. And Lord, as we hear your word read and proclaimed today, we pray that you would give us ears to listen, that we would not just hear the words, but that we would take them in. God, that your message uh, would not be history, but that it would be working in, our, in the present of our lives. God, that by your word and by your spirit, you would change us evermore, even today, into the people that you have created us to be. As we consider, as we fix our thoughts on Jesus, who he is, what he's done, continues to do, and has promised to do in the future. I pray all these things in his name. Amen. Deuteronomy, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. It says, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Some some pretty high compliments right there at the end, weren't there? There's a very high view of Moses and his relationship to God and his position in leading the people in the ways of God. Turning then to Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, on page 798 or or 1528 in the large print. 
Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. It was after six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I marked my place in this Bible like three times and kept taking it out every time. All right. Well, this morning we are continuing our series through the book of Hebrews. This entire series is entitled, Jesus Above All. Jesus Above All. And that's an easy thing to say. But it's not a very easy thing to live. We are constantly bombarded with everything else that's competing for that number one spot in our life. There's constantly, we are being uh, tempted to put something else on the throne of our hearts besides Jesus. And the book of Hebrews is going to be a constant encouragement that through all of it, through all of the temptations, to just give up, to go along, to go with the flow, to go along with the culture we find ourselves in, whether in ancient, uh, ancient times in Greece and in Rome, or even in modern-day America, wherever we are, whatever our culture is, do we get caught up in that and just go along with it? Or do we stand firm? Do we hold fast? Do we keep Jesus above all, even in our own lives? And not just individually, but even together as a people. That's what this book is all about. Jesus above all. And so it's going to continue to go through and show us how Jesus is greater than anything else that we might put in there. And so, uh, two weeks ago, we started and we looked at Jesus as the image of God himself. Uh, He is the exact representation of of his being. That when we look at Jesus, we get the clearest understanding of what God is like, who he really is, what kinds of things he cares about, where his passions are, how, uh, how compassionate he is for his people, and the, the links to which he's willing to go to rescue a people in need of rescue. Last week, we saw how even though Jesus is so high above everything, we saw he's even high above the angels, he came close. That he became fully human, identifying with us in every way 
accept sin, as we'll see in a few more weeks. But that he identified with us in every way. He took on real flesh, real blood. That he experienced real pain and hunger and real temptation. That he identifies with us. This week, we're picking up in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. The writer at this point says, Jesus is where we are to fix our thoughts. Because we have the temptation to go away from Jesus, to do anything else. And in fact, that is what we will face, by the way, as Christians in our current culture. The temptation is this. They will say, we're fine with you being generous and kind and compassionate and loving and forgiving. You know what? Do those things. Just leave the Jesus thing out of it. Why can't you just do those things? Be a good person, but not so much with the Jesus. Michael Phelps is a swimmer in the Olympics. A lot. (laughs) And he has uh, a lot of gold medals for his swimming. And... um, the greatest swimmer ever, I think you could probably say that. It would be like saying to Michael Phelps, you know, we love the uh, gold medals that you keep winning for the United States. We think that's great. But um, all the calories you keep eating, that's, that's a lot. I, why don't you just quit eating and all the hours you spend training, that's ridiculous too. Why don't you quit eating, quit training, but we'd still like for you to win the gold medals. If you could, please. That's basically what people are asking of Christians when they say, we want you to do these things that you can only do if you're in Jesus. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. These are things we can only do if we are in Jesus. And they say, we want you to continue doing those things without Jesus. Can't happen. But the temptation is to try. The temptation is always to try, to go ahead and put Jesus on the sidelines and say, well, I'll I'll just go ahead on my own, and I'll see how well I can do. You remember when Peter was walking on the water, how well that went, right? Walking on the water. Eyes on Jesus. But at some point, he gets distracted by the wind and the waves, and he looks at the wind and the waves instead of looking at Jesus, and whoop, down he goes. Because he can't do it. On his own. And when he looks at the winds and the waves, when he sees the problems instead of seeing the solution, 
he sinks. And Jesus says to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And why did he doubt? Because he took his eyes off Jesus. And what the author of the Hebrews is reminding us is that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we don't have reason to doubt. Let me say that again. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, we don't have reason to doubt. Does that mean we're never going to have doubts that there aren't going to be things, uh, or times or seasons where we have uh, issues in our lives of doubt? Of course we will. But what I'm saying is if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we have no reason to doubt. And so when those doubts come, we can learn to doubt our doubts, as has been said by others. Because fixing our thoughts on Jesus is the antidote to all the temptations to do anything else, to listen to any other voice, to try to earn God's approval by anything we do. His holy brothers and sisters, you kind of sense this urgency here, therefore holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. We have been called to something greater than just uh, making it through another day. We have a great purpose that goes on to forever. And so he says, those who share in this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Jesus is our apostle, and he is our high priest. Now, what does it mean for Jesus to be our apostle and high priest? This is the first line we get in Hebrews chapter 3, and I think it's because it's talking exactly about what he talked about in chapters 1 and 2. We've already summarized them. I'll summarize them again. Jesus is the apostle, as in he's the one who's been sent by God with a message. And what is the message that he's been sent with? The message of who God really is, as opposed to all the false thinking about who God is. So when you look at Jesus, you see the exact representation of God's being. Jesus reveals God more clearly than anything else does. You can get a lot of theologians to sit around and come up with really neat ideas about what God might be like. But when you look closely at Jesus, who he is, what he really did, we see what God is really like. And any theology about who God is, any thinking about what God is like, that doesn't take Jesus into account or that's different than who Jesus really is, is somehow off base and may need to be reevaluated. Jesus is the image of God. He is the Son of God. He is uh, the one who reveals God most clearly. And in doing so, he is our apostle. He is the one that we are to listen to as God's messenger. But he's also our high priest. He's our high priest in the sense that he came and identified with us. What was the job of the priest? The priest is to be the mediator, the go-between between God and the people. Is there anybody who does this better than Jesus? The one who is fully God and also fully human? Nobody can do that better. The other job of the priest was to make sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people. 
Did any priest ever at any time do a better job of making sacrifices for the sins of the people than Jesus? He made the ultimate sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice, the one that covers all of our sin. Jesus is our apostle. He is our high priest. And when we fix our thoughts on him, this gives us confidence for the future, for every day from now until forever. I love the hymn that says, you know, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Right? As we fix our thoughts on Jesus, it gives us strength for today because we see that he is the one who is our high priest, interceding on our behalf, giving us grace and mercy and forgiveness. That is not up to us to earn anything anymore. But he's done it all. When we have that in view, that's encouraging. That gives us strength for whatever we're going through today. But it also gives us bright hope for tomorrow. As it continues, he compares him to Moses. And says, look, Moses is a great guy. I'm not discounting that at all. All those things that it says at the end of Deuteronomy about how nobody had been around that had done any better than Moses, yeah, that's all, that's all true and good. But when you look at Jesus, there's no comparison. No comparison. Jesus uh, says that Moses was faithful in all God's house. By God's house, we're talking about all God's people. His family, his children that he is called. And Moses was faithful. But he was a member of that house. He was part of that people. It says Moses was faithful only so far as he was a servant in the house to prepare the people for Jesus. But Jesus is faithful, yes, but not in the same way as Moses. Jesus was faithful as, a, as the son over God's house in a very different way. So even if Moses were the greatest of all uh, those who came throughout the Old Testament, even so, no comparison. We're talking about two completely different types of being faithful. Moses was a servant in all God's house, but Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And what is his house? We are his house. We are his house. Not this building, not any building, but we are God's house. We are his temple. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. What is our confidence? Our confidence is Jesus. That he has done what he says he, that, that it says he has done. And our hope is Jesus. That he will do what he said he's going to do. That not only has he taken care of the problem of sin at the cross, but that one day he will take us to glory. This is our confidence. This is our hope. And this is what we will absolutely lose if we set Jesus aside. If we try to do anything apart from him. This is why Paul says numerous times, see in Colossians 1.28, he says, we Proclaim him. Preach Christ. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. He says to the church in Corinth, we do not preach ourselves, 
but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your, as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then Paul tells Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he gives him a whole list of things that are good to think about. And he's like, you know, reflect on all these things, but remember Jesus Christ. In other words, there's this constant message through the entire New Testament of if you take Jesus out of the message, if you take Jesus out of the equation, we have nothing. We have nothing to offer the world in and of ourselves. We have no message to proclaim apart from him. We have no power to live any differently than the rest of the world apart from him. But the temptation still is to put him aside. We'll just talk about God in general terms. We'll just try to be nice to people generally. But there's no power. There's no life. There's no message. And there's no hope. And so, the answer for the Hebrews, the author was writing to then, the same answer for us today. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. There are a million distractions on a daily basis. We have alerts and alarms that go off on our phone. We have email coming in, and we have phones that are ringing, and we have people that we're bumping into, and we have radios on, and there's a million distractions and other things to think about. And we can feel like Peter on the waves, and we can focus on the problems and say, I can't do this. I give up. And so the encouragement... The challenge is, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Through all of those other distractions, make sure that you keep coming back again and again to Jesus. I can't do this, but he can do this. I'm going to think about him. I'm going to think about what he's like. I'm going to think about what he has done and the way in which he lived. And the more we think about Jesus, the smaller our problems seem, the more encouragement we, we have on a daily basis to keep going, the more we begin to look like Jesus in the ways in which we live, and the less we depend on our own goodness to win us any points with God or anybody else. Because it becomes all about him. All about him. And that is where our hope is. That is where our confidence is. And if that is where our hope and our confidence is, then we are God's house. The one that Jesus has, is the son over. The one that he has uh, given his life for in order to give life to. Let us, through all the distractions of today and this week, fix our thoughts on Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.